Good afternoon and welcome to the Leadership Agency podcast, episode number five. Um, I'm your co-host, Steve Morris. And good afternoon. My name is Albert Weissone and I'm your co-host. And we are very fortunate and privileged to have a special guest with us today, David S. Brown. And um, the three of us wanted to talk a little bit about our backgrounds in regards to what's going on with the COVID-19 and now recently with all the riots and how we can um, step forward to be leaders uh, within our organizations, within our community. And uh, we wanted to get a diverse background and that's one of the reasons we asked David S. Brown. If you may not know, Steve is from New Zealand. I'm from Maryland and David S. Brown is African-American. He's gonna talk a little bit more about his background and, and share a little bit with us. David, if you would. Well, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for having me on today. It's definitely an honor to be able to share from my experience and my thought. We are talking about the topic of leadership and how we are going to be able to look at leadership, navigating it through this time that we are in here in our country, not just with the health pandemic, but also just on the rise and awareness. So I would say people becoming more alarmed and alerted to our social injustices. So. I am African-American. I own a company here in Maryland as well. I am not only, I guess, a resident of Maryland, but I'm actually a military brat, born and raised in the military. And so I am actually half Asian and I've lived all across the world, but I now make Maryland my home. Okay. Fantastic. Cool. Well, David. Yeah. So David, if we could get your view or perspective on what's happening out there and and you and I have had conversations, and I'm sure you've had conversations with other leaders, not only in the secular world, but in the church world, if you will, as well. Um, what's going on out there, and what can we do as leaders to right. unite us and bring us together and understand that we all bleed red? We're all Americans, um, regardless of what we look like on the outside. I appreciate the question, Al. I am also a minister of 27 years, awesome. and I've been fortunate enough to have led in seven different congregations across the Midwest, West Coast, and here on the East Coast, a couple of churches here. And I will share that for me, if I'm speaking as a minister, I would bluntly say this is a spiritual war, a spiritual issue more than it is a physical social issue. However, in this front, as a business leader, as a business owner, I want people to understand that there are things that we can do to address what's going on in our country. So just to kind of give an update, we were first hit with what I call this incredible health pandemic that, that has taken the world by storm. And COVID-19 has affected businesses, has affected families, it's affected so many different lives. And here in America, we've lost well over 100,000 people as a result of the health pandemic. And then not too long ago, as a result of several challenges that have gone on our country, some of them that you may be aware of and others may not be aware of, we've had the situation where recently George Floyd in Minnesota was murdered, and that sparked an outrage in our country. And I would say an awakening for us as a country to accept that there are some social injustices that are needed to be addressed, that needed to be um, brought to the forefront. And then as leaders, we need to continue to bring that forward. So. What does that mean? What does that look like? I, I think it's important to know that there is an element of, of ignorance. There's an element of hatred. There's an element 
of misunderstandings that goes on in, in a lot of our hearts, but is deep rooted in the very fabric of our country. And we talk about over 400 years since slavery was introduced to the Americas and how that has permeated in everything from banking, financial, mortgage, uh, to education. There have been ways that have undermined, in my, uh, my opinion, the ability to see minorities, specifically uh, of the black heritage, to be able to have growth and accomplish the same things that their neighbors can. And so there's a lot there, there's a lot in depth, and I've had great conversations with people. And what I've been amazed by, and I'll tell you this, and this is really at the very heart of leadership. A true leader, I believe, demonstrates his or her strengths by learning to listen. And this has been a great time for us as a country to be able to say, what do we need to know? Let's listen. Let's continue to educate ourselves as to how we can make a difference and make the United States of America much better than what it is now. I think that's the most important thing. We have to listen. The second thing I would say is we have to have an increase in empathy. We've got to be willing to put ourselves in the shoes of somebody else and what they've gone through in their lives. It is very difficult to understand or even to relate if you do not put yourself in that position to feel the pain, to feel the frustration, to understand the discouragement that's happened for so many people. And I think that's, those are the two main things. And then I think the third aspect of leadership and is we've got to learn to lead with courage. You, you cannot stop being courageous to stand up for the truth, to stand up for others who at times can't speak for themselves. Uh, I think those are the three traits that I would say about leadership. And, and please ask questions if you want. I'll, I'll share some thoughts into it. I'll, I don't mind going into more specific detail, but I do believe that those are the three main qualities as a leader. We must be able to, to show this world that we can have, especially with our communities, our churches, our organizations. We have to have the ability to listen. We have to have the ability to grow in our empathy. And then we've got to lead with courage. Let me ask you this, David, because uh, yes. in some of the circles, uh, people that I talk to will make the statement or claim that the leadership really needs to start in Washington, D.C. And usually my rebuttal or my comeback is, no, it really needs to start in the home. That's where the leadership needs to start. Thoughts on that? Oh, that's a great question. And I think it's unfortunate that our society is set up in such a way where we have to look to leadership first coming from the White House or coming from DC and Congress, the reality is it does start at home. And perhaps a lot of our families don't have the resources, they may not know where to go to start having those conversations, but the truth of the matter is we've got to start at home. And it may begin as simple as asking your children, what do they understand? What is it that they're seeing and hearing? And then going from there, inviting respectable sources or credible sources that you look at as people that can influence your children, influence your family in the right way and inviting them in to share, to speak, but it definitely starts at home. And it may be as simple as saying, I don't know. That to me is powerful. It empowers your family, empowers your children to feel like we're in this together. So yes, I agree. It starts at home, but it definitely helps when we have our political leaders uh, chime in the way with their voices and with the laws and bills that they pass. Absolutely. Steve. Yes, I, I recently watched the movie, I'm Not Your Negro, about James Baldwin uh, a couple of weekends ago. Awesome. And there's, you know, obviously a lot of things that struck me from that movie, but um, particularly 
you know, not growing up in this country, but looking back at the civil rights era in the 1960s and just sort of really seeing like what a upheaval that was at that time. But one of the things that really um, struck me about what he was saying um, and what the, you know, the, what the name of the film is kind of based around is, you know, what you're talking about, which is um, he was putting it back on white people, I, I guess, and saying like, why do you need me to be your Negro? And, you know, that I think sort of starts asking, he was using a different N-word then, but um, to me, it's like engendering that, that whole question of like, you know, what have you been taught in your home? Like, why do you need me to be this person? What you, and, you know, he was saying like, I was born in this country, my, my blood has built this country, I'm an American, but you need me to be somebody else. You can't accept me as an equal in this country. And why is that? You know, and that I think speaks to that sort of, you know, what are, what are people learning in their homes and what are they being taught, you know, by generations and they can't seem to sort of stop that and take a different view and, and move forward. So that really sort of struck me. Um, I don't know if you, have you seen the movie? Yeah, I've seen it, uh, Steve. I, I actually went on a deep dive and started going on YouTube afterwards, just to try to learn as much as I can and to listen to his speeches, listen to his debates, listen to him present, in my mind, an eye-opening experience for the audiences that were there. I think for me, I agree with you. It is something that's taught, whether it's done with intention or done out of ignorance generation after generation after generation. You can only teach what you know. And if you don't know a different history, you're gonna to continue to repeat that history or at least teach that same history going forward. I think what's interesting, Steve, if you don't mind me kind of interjecting, and, and, and I love the way he put eloquently some of the thoughts that he had about us shape, really shaping the way we should look at ourselves and our country as a whole. To think about how our fathers and our grandfathers who fought in wars and came back and had a different kind of a set of system for how they were gonna be received and even taken care of. I will say that was that my father, who grew up in the South, told me what life was like in the 50s and 60s. And he told me, he said, Dave, I, I would just pray that my children would have a better life than I did. That they wouldn't have to understand that they couldn't walk into a restaurant through the same door mm. or have the ability to have access to a water fountain that someone else could use. And these are things that, were in many, many ways for that generation, it was just acceptable. It's just right. the way it is. We're all American citizens, but that's what it is. Right. And so with my children, I, I've prayed the same thing. I want to see a better, a different generation. If I may, Steve, I, I'd like to throw out something that was interesting. Jane Elliott is an educator and was really regarded, I think, as one of the 20 top educators of our last century. And she did a really interesting experiment. I, I believe it's called the blue eye, brown eye experiment. And she was in a rural white Iowa town, all white children. And she set up this structure to show that prejudice can be taught. Mm. And that it's not inherently within all of us to be that way. It's not about, I was born this way, so I'm going to be racist, or I'm going to be prejudiced, I'm going to be whatever. And, it, and she showed, and it really rocked the world, that it indeed can be something that's taught. So I, I believe that leadership today, what's so needed is to teach a different way to look at people. Sure. Martin Luther King talked about character versus color of the skin. 
Benjamin Franklin once said that justice cannot be served until those who have not been affected are just as outraged as those who are. And so we've all got to sound the alarm. It, it can't be, well, oh, it doesn't bother me, or I was never raised that way, or I've got people that are minorities that are friends. No, we've all got to raise the alarm until there's an equal playing field for every single citizen of our country. Right. And how does that start, David? That's a, that's a great question, Al. I, I think that's a great question. It starts with true leadership. It starts at the home. It starts with conversations. It starts with our jobs. I had a friend of mine, and it's going to sound interesting, but we went to high school together, and my high school was about 85% Caucasian. And we, we, my twin and I were some of the minorities that were looked at differently. We're the athletes, you know, we're whatever. And I hadn't spoken to one of my friends for about 26, 27 years. Gave me a call out of the blue. Now, this is an, an, an interesting conversation. He said, Dave, I needed to talk to you. I know it's been a long time. And here's a guy that went to uh, all-white college, university, uh, that grew up pr predominantly in a Caucasian area, went to college in a Caucasian area. His neighborhood, he said, is probably about 99.5% uh, Caucasian. And he has children. And he said, Dave, I don't know what to do. I felt like for so many ways when I was watching the news that that wasn't me. He said, Dave, I didn't grow up with hatred. I didn't grow up feeling this or that. But as we began to have our conversation, he realized that he indeed was still a part of the problem. And I'll give you a, a story or, or at least an illustration to kind of help you guys see where I'm coming out with this. But, but it started with that conversation. It started with just having a conversation. He's in the financial banking industry. And we talked about just even looking at the history of the banking industry. And, and we called it line districting and how loans were given and who was approved and the rates that were there and how they continue to shift and move neighborhoods. And then we talked about the educational uh, market in terms of how dollars were put towards different schools and different districts. And, and so he started to realize that even for himself, that there was indeed an ingrained, what I would call bias. So if he were to get two applications for the, a similar loan, that ingrained were already a bias that if they had a name that he couldn't pronounce or understand, then maybe perhaps they were more risk, or more of a risk and the person that had what we call uh, more of a normal American name. And so these were things that we discussed. And after that conversation, I will let you know that he asked his bank if he could be included on what we call the diversity inclusion team where he can learn how to be a voice and a participant in seeing change done even at his bank. Now, the illustration I'll share, and I'll turn it back to you guys, is this. Someone shared that to understand what challenges we have, it's as if you're in an ocean, you're swimming, like let's say it's the Ironman challenge. And you're swimming, and let's say that you are a Caucasian born and raised in the country, regardless of the economic background, but you get to swim with the flow of the water. So there's not that much resistance. And then if you are a minority, specifically Black African-American, you're swimming against the current. So you have to almost swim twice as hard to catch up and really be at the same pace or situation that your competitor or your counterpart is in. So I think that's kind of the way I look at it. We have to start with conversations. We have to ask questions. And it really starts at our homes. It starts in our communities. It starts with calling your, your political representatives, your congressmen, your delegates, asking what else can be done. I also want to throw this out, Al, if you don't mind, that people have said, well, not all cops are this, or not all people are that. 
I, I think it's very, very hard because there's so much in us. We want to be of the spirit of we're all winning. We're all in this together. And I think we can, but we've got to be careful with that because I think there are some people and I've got close friends that are chief of police and some of them are minorities. And I've actually challenged them to understand that you've got to work with reforming the unions. You've got to work with reforming the laws. You've got to work with changing how you look at the cops that are there and awarding those who call out the cops that are being what I call the weeds in a lush field of flowers. Hmm. And it's interesting, David, when you were talking about, you know, what can we do to change things? And at times when I'm having these conversations, and not just necessarily about this topic, you know, what can I do? I'm just one person. I'm just a person that lives in Westminster, Maryland. What can I do? And I just, just brings me back to a quote um, from Mother Teresa. You know, I alone may not be able to change the world, but I can cast out one pebble and cause many ripples. Yes. And that, that just reminds me, who knows how far those ripples by this one person, how far and how many people they can reach. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people to don't feel that they're not enough to help make changes. And I appreciate you sharing that, Al, and that's so true. It, it, it makes a huge difference. May I also add that for those who don't know what to do, you can start with a little simple things. Things that you're around all the time. Be more mm-hmm. sensitive to what's being said and then be willing to go back and even challenge. Not in a way to try to make them feel embarrassed or to make them feel like they're just completely ignorant, but really to challenge. Why do you say that? Why do you think that? And then give them the opportunity to grow as much as you're growing. I think that could be that ripple you're talking about, Al. Great. That's awesome. Steve. I just, I, some of the thoughts that I've been having was sort of, and I thank you for, you know, your input, David, about being, you know, sitting down and, and listening and having empathy. And then I, you know, some of the next things is, as leaders is, of course, to take action to really be able to do something. Um, and, I, and I worry about that in businesses because I, you know, you see a lot at times that people talk about certain things and certain initiatives and values and other things, but then they don't walk that talk and it doesn't show up in the business. And uh, so I feel like this is a time, and particularly what's been on my mind is that, you know, with, with coronavirus sending us home or completely reorganizing our lives and these protests that we've reached a tipping point in that, that those two things give us a moment to take an opportunity to reset and to take some different action going forward. What are your thoughts on that? I appreciate you, you sharing that, Stephen. That's so true. Sometimes we've got to just stop and pause. We've got to think about our actions. We've got to think about the direction we're going in. I spoke about three weeks ago at a business meeting, virtual, of course, and there were about 100 business people in there. And one of the things that I challenged them to understand was that we've got to go beyond just an HR put out statement that represents the company, right? We've got to go beyond that. It's got to go to more. And it's just like even the NFL saying, now we're going to put $250 million over the next 10 years to trying to help with social awareness, trying to help with our, our communities and getting them the support that they need. That's great. But let's get deeper than that. Steve, look at our biggest corporations in our country. And how many of them have in their senior leadership 
just a few, or dare I even use the word token minority in positions of influence. Mm. We've got to become more diversified. We've got to push the agenda until it really becomes a true representation of our society, of our community, of our country. And I think that the way that I would look at it is something as simple as, a, I don't want to call it a boycott, but something as simple as people causing a voice rising, a, a kind of a, an awareness as a community, as a group to say, hey, we want this done. And money will speak louder than even words. If you don't buy their products, they're going to eventually start changing. If you look at it and say, quit giving minorities only the, the chief diversity officer role and letting them realize that there are some incredible leaders out here that need to be given those opportunities to lead, then we're going to see it in the business community. Then we're going to see it shift because when you have politics, when you have the business communities, then you have the sports communities. These are all changing and then we start to see it reflected in our educational system. That's where leadership is going to be uh, the biggest, make the biggest impact. So I like what you're saying, Steve. We just got to take it to the point where we're really, truly seeing change at the very top of all these structures. Right. And it's not going to just be another 60 years that it's been, you know, since the civil rights movement. Exactly. Right? We're going to have more change happening in a, in a lot sooner because it, I feel like people have had enough. They're fed up and don't you know want to keep the, the current situation going so takes i agree with that as well happen. i definitely agree i think it's been interesting like when we've looked at our generations and, and even if you look back at our country you know, when we look at women not having the right to vote and then the topic even in the last election was could a woman ever be president we're, we're really seeing the landscape changing and we're seeing minds we're seeing a paradigm shift here where people are starting to realize that the possibility of having a diverse leadership, a diverse platform is becoming a reality. And so we've got to continue to push that envelope until we see that true change or until we see it as an embrace versus a threat. Hmm. Absolutely. See, this has been great. Albert? <clears throat> no, I, ju I just wanted to share, th this has been a great conversation. I know we're coming up on, the, on our time here and uh, David, I just really appreciate you taking the time to spend with Steve and I today. And I'm going to challenge us as leaders, the three of us being leaders, is to take action and to really have uh, the next conversation, if you will. What do we do, whether it's individually or the three of us together, what do we do um, to help make change and, yeah. and to bring attention to it? Make change happen. Yeah, and David, I'd really like to thank you for coming on this podcast. I really appreciate your viewpoints and, and you've, you've put a lot of thought into it, obviously a lot of personal experience in your background about you know, working through these issues. So thank you for bringing it to us and, and it's been good listening to you. Yes, well, thank you so I much. Want to thank, I want to thank both of you gentlemen for the invitation to be here. I do believe that our audiences will be, I think, rewarded with three leaders three different backgrounds but really with the same heart we yeah. want to see the right changes we want to see the right things done and we want to be able to see great impact made and it starts with our voices so i want to thank you for your voice for your platform and what you're doing right. thank you david look forward to the next conversation <clears throat> thank you. and that's thank the you end guys. of this episode